I'm Paul Levinson, and welcome to a very special episode of Light On, Light Through, episode 41, a conversation with Mark Shanahan about sedition. Now, Mark Shanahan is an actor, writer, and teacher. He's performed on and off Broadway, in films, on television, at regional stages across the country. As a writer, you may have heard of him. I certainly have, because Mark Shanahan wrote the radio play for my novelette, The Chronology Protection Case, which was nominated for an Edgar Award by the Mystery Writers of America just a few years ago. Mark is also co-writer of a screenplay recently purchased by Universal Studios. Later this year, Mark will join the cast of The 39 Steps on Broadway in New York City. But currently, Mark's returned to the venerable and world-famous Westport Country Playhouse in Connecticut to perform with Oscar-nominated actor Chris Sarandon in the world premiere of David Wiltsey's Sedition. Now, you've heard me talk a little bit, I think, about freedom of speech in fact, I talk about it many times. You've no doubt seen some of my blogs, if you're listening to this, about freedom of speech. And I've written several blogs in just the past week about this incredibly inspiring play, Sedition. It's about a professor who, in 1917, stands up for freedom of speech as the United States is going down the road which will eclipse freedom of speech as never before in its history, in the 20th century. Now, I was fortunate to catch Mark in between performances about an hour ago. We had a wonderful 25-minute discussion about sedition, about its importance in today's society, about the role of theater and how it presents intellectually important ideas in a way that movies and television, although they can do a lot of good as well, can't do. Certainly not the same as theater. And most of the episodes of Light On, Light Through, as you probably know, are about 15 or 20 minutes in length. Since the interview that you'll hear is about 25 minutes, this episode will go over 30 minutes because there will be a few other things I hope you'll be interested in hearing that I'll talk about after the interview. So now, without any further ado, my interview with Mark Shanahan about David Wiltsey's sedition. Hey, I'm talking to my good friend Mark Shanahan, and last Sunday, as my listeners know, I saw this wonderful play, Sedition. Mark plays a major role in it. Mark, why don't you uh, start off by telling us what it was that attracted you about Sedition? Sure. Well, I've worked at the Westport Country Playhouse before uh, in Westport, Connecticut, and it's a very uh, venerable and acclaimed stage um, in Westport, right outside New York. And the walls of the Playhouse alone are, are adorned with posters from the last century's worth of incredible performers and plays that have gone on there. Every great notable name uh, from stage, television, and film has, uh, has sort of trod the boards there at one point or another. And it's a really thrilling and terrific place. A few years ago, Joanne Woodward uh, raised a lot of money to renovate the place, and it's now under the artistic director, uh, Caswell Thompson, who's also the, D the director of our show, Sedition, by David Wiltsey. Um, 
the first show I did at Westport was called Journey's End, and that was a World War I play about soldiers in a trench dealing with what happens when you get to war. This play deals with the people on the home front and perhaps speaks to the idea of, well, how do you make sure that you don't get into that position, or should you, or at what point do you decide you do go to war? Um, and it's a world premiere of a play that uh, is based in real fact. Um, it is the true story of what happened to Professor Andrew Schrag, who happens to be the grandfather of our playwright, David Wiltsey. And audiences really do seem to gasp a little bit when they hear that it's a true story. Maybe they think these things could never happen. But in the wake of the uh, Espionage Act of 1917, um, certain kinds of speech were deemed uh, to be seditious and maybe a, a danger to the war effort. And in our play, Professor Schrag, who's played by uh, Chris Sarandon, whom audiences know from his Oscar-nominated performance in Dog Day Afternoon and lots of TV shows and films, including The Princess Bride, as well as being a very accomplished stage actor. He, um, Professor Schrag convinces a student not to, perhaps tries to convince a student not to go to war. And when uh, the kid meets an unfortunate end in the trenches, he feels compelled to speak out. And the government sends an agent in the form of Mr. Megram, played by Jeffrey DeMunn, who's a really fantastic actor whom audiences might remember from Shawshank Redemption and just about every movie they've ever laid eyes on. Uh, he comes in, blows into town, and puts Shrag on trial. And the play really, in the second act, shows us that trial of whether or not Professor Shrag's words could be considered dangerous to the war effort. And it really sort of uh, satisfies a great need for public discourse and debate. And at various times, Paul, I think, and you saw it, maybe you'll agree or disagree, it really sort of balance it has a good balanced argument from all of the major characters who at certain points are right and certain points are wrong but more than anything i think it feeds a healthy and really insatiable desire to talk about issues which clearly have an effect on us today as we have another uh wartime issue uh, wartime uh, state where we're talking once again about what it means to be american to be patriotic whether or not you should speak out or whether we should watch our words as Ari fleischer once said um, and we were glad that you came because it also speaks to issues that you have been so passionate about. And when you spoke on our symposium, I think everybody mentioned that, yes, it's about what happened in 1917, but it's also about um, things that have happened in in uh, world conflicts over and over again, and we still deal with these same issues. It's about what's happening right now every minute. And one of the things that uh, I was uh, amazed to find, I don't know why I was amazed. I mean, I, I study media and I study the impact that media, including theater, uh, have on people. But sometimes when you are the person who is experiencing the impact, it, it's surprising. And as my listeners know, I'm no shy violet when it comes to speaking out on behalf <laughs> of the First Amendment, when it comes to, when it comes to speaking about anything. <laughs> but, uh, but but one of the things that happened, um, which which I was I realized in retrospect was really a hundred percent because of uh, the inspiration of sedition, was the night after uh, Tina and I saw the play that was uh, a little over a week ago it was a Sunday. Um, in the middle of the night, I was rummaging around the internet somewhere, and I came upon a story that uh, in the 
reporting that ABC News was doing of the Iowa debate, which took place last week. A, A very strange thing happened. The person who came in first in the Internet poll that ABC itself conducted uh, after the debate, Ron Paul, who's a representative from Texas who's running for the Republican nomination, for some reason ABC neglected to mention that when they were discussing the aftermath of the debate in their green room uh, television segment. And uh, before I realized it, I found myself dashing off uh, a post uh, to one of my blogs, InfiniteRegress.tv. It got picked up all over the place. And I realized that what I was doing was really sort of um, in my own way here in 2007, being a professor who cares enough about a public issue, not just to think about it, but to go out and do something about it. And, and that, I think, was one of the, the, the main lessons uh, of sedition, that here's Schrock. I mean, he had a good life. You know, the academic life is not a bad life at all. You don't work that hard. You get paid, <laughs> as I know for well, you, you get paid for talking. And, and then, but, uh, but that to put yourself on the line like that, it, it really was an extraordinary thing. Yeah, in some ways, the, the play ends up being about also the effect of what kind of man are you when it comes time to stand up for your principles? Do you, do you shy away from it, or do you actually put everything on the line when you could risk ruining your career, your marriage? I mean, I think that part of what David did really beautifully in the show is show the effect uh, that this has on his wife and his colleagues and the university, the position that it puts the university in, whether or not you should go along and toe the line uh, for fear of losing your funding or being labeled seditious by the government, um, or whether you actually get up and you speak out. And that's part of the, the visceral thing that people react to with this play, I think, and something that clearly, you, you know, as a teacher, you, you must deal with a lot, too. Uh, what, what, what point do you keep talking and keep telling, making your point of view clear when other people disagree with you? Yeah. Yeah, and and the truth is, you know, in wartime, in any time, but especially in wartime, it's unbelievably easier, you know, not to push these issues because, you know, the general sense of a lot of people in the public – the, the character in the play, Megram, the government agent, is, as you said, does really an excellent job of presenting a point of view which all too many people have. Certainly when there's a war going on, don't do anything that could in any way be supportive of the enemy. I mean, it's, that seems to make a, a lot of common sense. Right. But, but, of course, the problem is when you go down that route, you become the very enemy that you are trying to beat in this war. A couple of years ago, I remember you made the um, the keynote address at the the um, what's it called the um, the Media Ecology Association meeting, and you spoke about issues of First Amendment and freedom of speech and how these issues have cropped up throughout history, and you mentioned that even during this time in World War One that a lot of newspapers uh, were threatened by the government and uh, were worried about being shut down, and that shows this sort of chilling factor of how, just like this uh, ABC poll that you picked up on here, of how information gets out to us and whether or not everyone gets information. Even in a day where we have the Internet and we have radio and television and everything, all this information coming towards us uh, at all times, how do we sift through it and who are we listening to and why? And I think in some ways, and I don't mean to insult you because I know you go on CNN and Bill O'Reilly and all these other shows, but that sort of stands in for public discourse and public debate uh, these days, and one of the things that our show does by putting the trial on stage is show people arguing 
really passionately their points of view. And at one point or another, everyone in the show uh, is, is right, and they make sense, and we know that some people are angry in the audience, and then they hear the other side of the debate, and they feel passionately about the other guy's situation. And it's one of the great things about David's writing, you put good actors on a stage with a good text, uh, that that really, I think, pleases the audience, that they hear all sides of this debate. There's no such thing as a true hero or a true villain in this in this um, in this story i think yeah and i think one of the joys of theater is that it is off the fcc radar so yeah. that theatrical productions don't have to worry about the fcc coming in and finding them as any radio or television production uh always has to keep in mind nowadays in these in these dark times for right. freedom of expression but but then even beyond that it, the, it's precisely because it is a, such a personal medium and it precisely because it's not going out to millions of people at the same time Pre, it, precisely because it has this intimacy this this connection really with the ancient world because obviously theater is the oldest medium you can do things and you can have an intellectual discourse in the theater that you just can't find any place else and one of the things that really struck me about the play, just as, uh, you know, someone in the audience, uh, was, in one sense, it was a very naked production. I don't mean there was any nudity in it, although <laughs> that's never bad. Hey, but, yeah, right. But, hey, we're trying to get some people come, you know, build the audiences. But, no, you know, what I mean is the, the, the stage, you know, didn't, uh, it wasn't, you know, bristling with special effects and, you know, lights weren't going off and here and there. Right. It, it, and as you, as you were saying, it, it was just people standing up there talking it was just the ideas uh people in socrates time could have uh, seen that play and actually too bad that uh, more people in the athenian democracy <laughs> didn't see a play like that hey maybe i'll write a story about we'll send david wilsey back <laughs> in time. time machine right? yeah i see your next Cage novel coming out well it's the thing that is making me really proud about doing sedition and and um you know, not not that we have to take ourselves so seriously, but the the fact is, you have a stage and you have an audience, and you're charged with you know you have the the hubris to invite people to come hear what uh, we're presenting, and it goes back to what the theater's supposed to be for in 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 the ancient Greeks and the influence and probably before that and the influence that the Greeks have lent on down to us in modern theater today, which is to stand up there in Greek times they stood up and said, hey, why are the gods doing this to us? Let's talk about what's going on in our world and make you think in some cathartic fashion and make you feel. And in this production, I think Taswell Thompson, our director, has very smartly stripped it down into a, the real essentials, which is um, not trying to load it up with the, some real sense of spectacle, which you get so often, and that can be fun too, uh, on the Broadway stage. And but But just actually have good actors, skilled and seasoned actors. I sit there and I marvel at Chris and Jeff DeMunn and all the rest of them every night that they, you come out and make your case and speak the words with real skill, and uh, it, it stirs people. And all you really need, once you realize it, is a good actor and a good piece of writing. And bit by bit, you can you know, take one, put one forward in front of the other and realize that you've stirred an audience into debate and passion and, um, and emotion. And after the show, we meet people in the... In the lobby, we hear from people, and even during the show, we hear them gasp or ooh and ah, and really get behind certain characters. And we know that that 
that's the excitement of live theater, the living stage, which really caters to the playwright, caters to the words in a way that film or TV doesn't necessarily when you can create a performance through editing and soundtracks and all these other things. But the theater really is happening right in front of you. It's that crazy tightrope walk where you know something could go wrong at any minute, but you also know that you're part of it if you're in the audience. And since this show has a hearing in it, the audience really is a part of it. We're speaking right to them and trying to make our case to the audience. And that's what the play is about in many ways, I think. Yeah, and it was a very dramatic moment in the play when the action turned to the audience. And uh, we realized that we, in effect, were the jury that the characters were speaking to and appealing to. And and about that audience, one of the things I was also really impressed with, and I think this is an indication of how powerful sedition is uh, and, and how powerful the performance was, the audience really uh, had people of all ages in it. You know, sometimes you go to a play and you just see mainly people in their 20s and, you know, or, or sometimes or you matinees, play. it's all older people, yeah. Right. But, and this, I mean, this certainly did have some people in their 70s and 80s, uh, and they were as passionate as everyone else. And uh, in the panel discussion afterwards, they were practically standing up and applauding and, you know, making points. And uh, what this shows, I think, is this issue. This freedom of speech issue is a demographically comprehensive issue, meaning that it cuts across all ages. It doesn't matter if you're 8 years old or 80. The freedom to speak your mind is absolutely essential to your life and to this democracy. Yeah, and you got to hand it to Taswell Thompson, the director and the artistic director of the Playhouse, to, you know, here it is in the summer in a beautiful theater, um, and he's decided to give people a challenging play about politics and and about people, and also really something that he didn't, he don't know how a new play is going to go over. We're very excited because we're doing a new play. This is the first production, and yes, there are other productions already being lined up for it, but this is the original production, and Taz took his chance and put this in front of his audience, and it's so amazing to see people take to it. There's a moment in the play where Professor Schrock turns to the audience and he says, Throughout history, all the bullies and priests and political bosses have always told us what we shall not do, but only our Bill of Rights tells us what we are free to do. And you hear an audience gasp and think, yeah, this is, this is true. Now what do we do with that privilege, that right, and how do we handle it, and where does America go from here? And clearly the play is about World War One and President Wilson and um, – you know, whether the isolationists think that we should or should not get involved, and it's a war that's not necessarily uh, mandated or called for. As Shrag says, we're not attacked by these particular people right now. Let Europe go into its own death spiral without our help. And, yes, there are parallels, but it's different. President Bush and Iraq are clearly different historical contexts. And yet the debate about what it means to um, decide to go to war, what it means if you're speaking out against it, are you weakening, are you not supporting the troops, all these things are, are absolutely things that speak to us today. The comparisons are are obvious in some, in some ways and are also um, different throughout because these are different historical contexts, but we can't help but have an emotional reaction to recognizing ourselves uh, in 2007 back in 1917 or 1918, I think. Absolutely. And that uh, that time, 1917, I mean, it's very rare that you can sort of 
point to, and in the case of sedition, witness the explicit fulcrum, the, the literal turning point, in this case when things started going badly for freedom of speech. Because obviously, you know, we, we can go way back, you know, to 1789 and the 1790s when Jefferson the Bill and Adams of Rides, and the alien incident. That's right. That's right. That's right. And, but Jefferson, he's elected president, uh, you know, he takes office in 1801, and the United States has over a century of a very enlightened attitude towards freedom of speech. Uh, Andrew Jackson was a strong believer in the First Amendment. Even Abraham Lincoln refrained most of the time from cracking down on northern newspapers that attacked him during the Civil War. But for some reason, in, in 1917, as the United States had just gotten involved uh, at precisely that moment, th that sedition shows us what's going on, that was the time when the tide began turning against freedom of expression. And so Professor Schrag is standing up there, in effect, from our vantage point in 2007, pleading with the world and pleading with the audience and pleading with anyone who can hear him not to go down this path. And it's sort of interesting because on the one hand, as we know, Schrag lost that larger argument. Uh, you know, the clear and present danger decision did uh, go against Schenck and his right. uh, handing out of, you know, anti-war leaflets mm -hmm. uh, near a draft center. And then, you know, the FCC, uh, you know, came into being in the 1930s. But on the other hand, isn't it wonderful that Schrag's grandson, David Wiltsey, is able to write a play like this? Yeah, and, quite a legacy. Uh, yeah. yeah, and you folks are able to put it on. I mean, there, there's a certain magic in that. It's, it's almost literally that Schrag is speaking to us. Across uh, the decades, yeah. That's, you know, you also fair. bring up, obviously, people can read the famous cases like Eugene Debs or Shank, um, but this is a, a play about a, a common man living in Lincoln, Nebraska at the time who stands up and speaks out. And you have to wonder, would you have the courage to do the same thing? The character I play, Professor Cassidy, is his associate who at first tries to get Shrog into uh, the protesters' movement. And then when Mr. Megram, the government agent, shows up and asks him to name names of who these people are who are speaking out against the government, he blackmails them with a bit of, uh, of indiscretion from his past, and Cassidy falls. He, he gives in. But I like to point out to David and I have talked about it that he spends the rest of the play sort of standing by his friend Shrog and trying to beg for forgiveness. And in some ways, he's, to me, I love that he's not a clear-cut character, that he's human. He falls. I don't know what I would do if I were put in this position and your whole livelihood and your marriage and everything was on the line. And it does make you ask a question. And I think aside from all the politics and things of the play, uh, is definitely about – it also is about – uh, asking people to think about what do you do in a bad situation? How do you react? How do people gun for each other when they're trying to attain a position of power? And how good a friend are you? How far does your friendship go? And when the time comes, do your knees buckle and do you give in or do you stand up for what you believe no matter what the cost is? And I think that's the strength of David's play and the strength of the legacy of of, I think, showing a play about his grandfather and saying, yeah, he might have been heroic for standing up for his beliefs, but it also was very destructive in his life. You know, it's not just a, a beautiful story about a heroic man. It's, it shows the, the weight that this takes on you. And you, by the way, uh, uh, as Cassidy, do 
have a wonderful moment. Actually, the whole your whole performance is excellent, but there's an especially wonderful moment near the end where you stand up, you jump to your feet, and you applaud uh, what Shrag is saying a- after being a little more ambiguous uh, right. throughout. And, and one of the things, you know, I'm glad you mentioned, it's not easy uh, standing up to these things. I mean, I, I'm the kind of person I welcome any publicity uh, for what I... <laughs> So I don't mind, you know, if people attack me or whatever, but I remember, uh, you know, I'm, I'm 60 years old, even though I feel like I'm 19, and, and most people think I, I act like I'm 19, but I, I, I remember what it was like in the 1950s. My father was an attorney, and, you know, he would get uh, calls from some of his friends who were concerned about uh, Joseph McCarthy and the communist witch hunt, and, uh, you know, that, that, so that's the 1950s. We're never that far away from our lives, our professions being severely damaged and even ruined by, by a government that doesn't like what we're saying. And, and that's, you know, why plays like this are so important. And, and ironically, you know, getting back to the importance of the play, you, the, the, the FCC makes it not that easy for television and radio and any broadcast medium to say and do whatever they please. And in, in many ways, the theater is the last bastion of complete, open honesty about all issues. And uh, I, I thought the, the play did a, a great job of presenting that. Yeah, the only gatekeeper with the theater is the uh, ticket buyers. you got to make sure people come. And we're you know, very fortunate that the Playhouse um, put its reputation on the line to say we're doing a political play and people have come and people are debating it. And, you know, they're talking in the lobby and in the parking lot afterwards. But that's the, that's the power of the theater, the living stage just... There's nothing like it, really. Yeah, and let me urge all my listeners, uh, go up and uh, see this uh, at the Westport Country Theater. Uh, Believe me, you won't be sorry. If for some reason you don't get a chance to see it, though, uh, I predict that uh, Sedition will be running in many places for many years to come. In fact, we may, Mark and I are hatching up uh, a possible... Uh, live reading, in contrast to a dead reading. I don't even know what a live reading means. <laughs> right. <laughs> but uh, a reading with professional actors of sedition, which we'll do at Fordham University at the Lincoln Center campus sometime in the fall. So uh, there'll be announcements about that at lightonlightthrough.com. Yeah, our, our education a- director at the playhouse keeps saying, boy, we're doing it in the summer, but if it was in the in the fall, think how many... Uh, have the opportunity to get students in to see this and how great that would be in school groups and all. And that's why I think it would be great if we do this at Forum and get some students in there to see it and hopefully anybody else who would want to come down. We'll have to talk more about that, yeah. Yeah, and here, here's my last word on this, uh, a uh, an inimitable Levinson prediction. I, I predict Sedition will win a Pulitzer Surprise. From your lips to the committee's ears. <laughs> well, yeah. I'm well, sure. I mean, I, I, David Wilty is happy to hear that. So. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure the committee takes what I say very seriously. But... <laughs> all right, listen, Mark, thanks. It's been great talking to thanks you. Thanks very much for all the support, and I hope uh, everybody gets a chance to come see the play we run uh, another week or so. So thanks, Paul. I appreciate it. Take care. Bye-bye. Right, bye-bye. The Light on Light Through podcast is proud to be part of the Blueberry Network. That's blueberry with no ease dot com. And now a word from our new sponsor, GoToMyPC. Communication theorists know that there are two kinds of information that we need to thrive in this world. 
One kind of information comes from the mass media, newspapers, radio, television. The other is information that we ourselves may create or write. Now, you can get the information on radio and television and the Internet just about anywhere. So what do you do when you have some very valuable information that's on your home computer and you're out there traveling somewhere, maybe across town, across the country? Use Go to My PC and you'll discover the power and freedom of the web. Try it free right now for 30 days with unlimited access. For this special offer, just visit gotomypc.com forward slash podcast. That's go to mypc.com forward slash podcast. You're listening to a Runaway Network podcast from runawaynetwork.com. Yes, indeed. And the lightonlightthrough.com podcast is now proud to be part of two networks the Blueberry Network, which is sweet. And the Runaway Network, which is very edgy. And in fact, you'll find a lot of sweet and edgy stuff in the LightOnLightThrough.com podcast. And our flashes today are all about television and film. See, even though I love theater, I'm still a devoted watcher of both TV and movies. So starting with television, John from Cincinnati ended its enigmatic season. It might be its last season. It was its first season last night. And uh, I won't lie to you and tell you I know what's going on. I still haven't figured it out. But the show did have something. I think of it as a sort of murky jewel that you hold up to the light and you squint and you try to see what's going on inside it, but you never really can. But nonetheless, that jewel has an attractiveness. So if I was Lord of the Universe, I would decree that there should be a second season for John from Cincinnati. On the other hand, no one listens to me about those kinds of things, so who knows? And word, unofficial word from HBO, doesn't look very good. Hey, a brand new show started on Showtime. It's actually starting tonight, but I said started because by the time you hear this episode, the show will already have debuted. It's called Californication, starring David Duchovny. I actually saw an advanced copy of the first episode, and i got to say I loved it. It's the story of a writer in his 40s who has a big motion picture made out of one of his books, but he's very unhappy with the picture. Hey, I wish I had that kind of problem. I'd certainly, even if a small motion picture were made of one of my books. And this guy that David Duchovny plays, gee, I think he slept with about 10 women in the first episode. So you can't beat that. A really funny show as well. Just one line that I can repeat here. Duchovny talks about someone who has a voice like a dial tone. You ever speak to anyone on the phone who has a voice like a dial tone? I actually have. A guy, I won't mention his name, he was director of a program I taught in about 15 or 20 years ago. I used to feel like I was talking to a dial tone when I was talking to him. 
Mad Men is on the AMC Network. This show takes place in 1960. I've never seen a show that has such a convincing late 1950s ambience. The Mad Men stand for Madison Avenue Men. They're ad men. They're ad executives. They drink like fish. They smoke like chimneys. Hey, if you don't like smoke, be careful when you watch it because you can almost feel the smoke coming through the screen. Although, actually, it's a safe way of smoking. It's a safe, vicarious way of smoking because, of course, you're not smoking. You're watching people smoke. And male chauvinism was running rampant, but the women get in some good shots. So I recommend this. It's a time machine that will take you back to the late 1950s, early 1960s. Hey, and a bonus flash, a coming attraction. In the next Light On, Light Through, or maybe the one after that, but in a podcast coming up very soon, we'll have the man, the genius behind the Obama Girl videos. Obama, Obama, oh yeah. Ben Rellis, producer of the Obama Girl videos, will be my guest, my exclusive guest, on one or two or three episodes from now of lightonlightthrough.com. So keep listening. That's the sweet music of our promo suite. That means we're coming to the end of this episode of Light On, Light Through. But coming up, you'll hear a great promo for Mike Thinks. MikeThinks.com, the savviest podcast in town. Go over and take a listen. You'll definitely enjoy it. Hey, and you're going to hear a promo for Sean Farrell's patio book of my first novel, The Silk Coat. And Sean has actually finished the patio book now. As a special treat, you'll hear an interview that Sean did with me. Actually, I don't know how much of a treat it is for you to hear more of my voice, but Sean did do a very good interview, and you can hear that now, as well as the complete patio book. You can get it on iTunes. You can get it on Sean's webpage. Just go over to lightonlightthrough.com, and you'll find a link for it. And you'll also hear a promo for the Punk Horror Podcast as well. So listen, it's been great talking to you. I look forward to talking to you next time. In the meantime, sit back, relax, and enjoy. the Mike Thinks Podcast, www.mikethinks.com. News and current events with an opinion. The Mike Thinks Podcast. It's the news you missed. www.mikethinks.com. The 
Locus Award-winning novel by Paul Levinson comes to life in this free podcast novel. Journey into the ancient world, witness the wonder of ages past, and join Phil D'Amato in a struggle against forces both ruthless and unseen. Visit www.thesilkcode.blogspot.com to learn more about the author and the novel. And subscribe today at patiobooks.com. Join the battle, witness the wonder, or forever be victim to the awe and power of the Silk Code. Phil D'Amato is ready. Are you? Punk Horror Podcast, coming to you every other week from Punk Horror Press. Featuring The Punk and the Pastor, a movie review show featuring David Giannis and Stacey Campbell. And author Red Fiction, featuring the best in horror and punk fiction. Don't miss it. Subscribe now at www.punkhorror.com.